Thank you for tuning into the VF1 show with VF and Vincenzo, the podcast that discusses all things business, marketing, politics, and government within the world of Formula One. If that's your thing, then you found the right place. So without further ado, it's lights out and away we go. Welcome back to the show. This is Vincenzo Landino, VF1 show. My co-host is joining me today from somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. VF Castro, how are you today? I am good. I'm really good. I'm excited it's race week. How are you? I am I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, race week is like I said, like we talked about last week, it's just seemingly a little bit boring. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Well, you're also um, a Ferrari fan. <laughs> it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, is it though? Is it? I mean, I think so. I just think it like that's got to be tough. It's like week after week, you're so excited for a race. You're so excited for any improvements they're bringing to the car. And then like, you're basically saying, I just hope that they don't end up in a wall. It's not even end up in a wall. It's I just hope the car doesn't blow up or yeah, they actually like do something. You know, they don't make a strategic mess up, but it's... It has become, I, you know, and I, I touched on this last week, it has become more and more appealing or uh, is that the right word? It's become less appealing yeah. for me to watch every session and whatnot, especially, you know, with, with life and other things happening. It's like, yeah, I'll watch it. I'll catch a replay. I, I, I've actually watched more sessions on replay over the last three race weeks than I ever have. Hmm. Um, and like I said, you know, I, I caught certain things live, but I was like, I'm not going to, you know what? I've got other things to do. I've got other, I'm not going to readjust my schedule for race weekend, which I used to do. I used to rearrange everything to be available for every session the whole time. And now I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of, I think when you have one team that you know is, has a very high likelihood of taking pole and then winning, it's like, what else is there to watch? And I hate to say that because there are so many exciting things going on, especially in the middle of the field. I love what Mercedes is doing, but it's just like, it's exhausting kind of, but I mean, at least last year we had Charles Leclerc yeah. able to compete on Saturday. Now it's yeah. like, there's not even that. I mean, okay, to be fair, we also have now Lewis Hamilton able to kind of compete with like for podium. And we have yeah. a Fernando Alonso competing for podium, which I mean, last year was, that wasn't going to happen. So I think there are some exciting things to look forward to still with this season, but it's like, it is becoming kind of repetitive. And I can see where that's, if you're if you're the FIA and you're going for record breaking races every season, twenty four races, twenty five races, et cetera, how are you going to keep your viewer hooked? You know what I mean? Like, if, and, and basically through all sessions, through free practice, through quality, through the race, because all those TV numbers and all yeah. those attendance numbers they matter in the overall picture. So it's like, how do you keep these people interested? And I think that them introducing the sprint race 
okay, fine. But again, you also have now teams complaining, saying that the sprint race doesn't, um, it doesn't put us in, in a good position given the cap. It puts us at greater risk of, of having some serious damage done to the car. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a lose-lose for F1 right now, even though I think people are still going to go to the races because it's a place to be seen at. People want to take pictures, post everything. It's, it's still like kind of a social event, but it's like, how does F1 move on from making that a social event and actually get back to the racing? Yeah. We talk about this all the time. We talk about this all the time. I mean, if you don't change the car, it's going to be very difficult to make, uh, you know, much in the way of competitive challenging. Yeah. Um, this week, we've got some uh, good news, you know, news that came out. And uh, we'll jump into that. But Alpha Tauri apparently is going away in 24. One of the entries for new team, High Tech F1, is uh, looking like the potential front runner. We have the uh, FIA whistleblower system and technical directive 45 um to talk about and to lead us off we will jump into the alpine investment that dropped this week a i think healthy healthy investment something that uh not only a healthy investment but a star studded investment Mm. um for for the quick quick and dirty on this one alpine secured a 200 million euro um investment valuing the team at 900 million euro so let's call it a billion dollars um one of the investors is maximum effort investments owned by ryan reynolds actor ryan reynolds but also rob uh, McElhenney. And Michael B. Jordan, who are also involved with Maximum Effort Investments. One quote that I saw, and I, I think I want to start it here, was from Renault Group CEO Luca DeMeo. And he said, Alpine is for me something absolutely special. Two years ago, two years ago, it was a dead end. Formula One was not considered an asset, but a cost, a mere line in the marketing budget. In only two years, everything changed. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> where's the lie? <laughs> like None. There I don't none. think anyone who was an F1 fan pre-COVID, pre-DTS era, thought that F1 would be where it is right now. I mean, I didn't, I mean, maybe call it short-sighted. But even though we had a race already in the U.S., it wasn't nearly what it is now. Yeah. So, yeah, I completely understand the quote. I just, you know, it's it's crazy to think that you have a consortium of investors who have serious ties to mm-hmm. American either um, investments or ownership of major American sports teams now invested in Alpine. And 
just what that could potentially cause down the line of other investors wanting to get involved in other teams. I mean, you're going to have, I think, a situation where you're going to have teams like maybe Mercedes, Red Bull, Aston Martin, who kind of just, you know, they don't need that infusion. So you're going to have smaller teams looking for that. And you're going to have investors who eager are, are rather are eager to throw their money at Formula One. Yeah. And you're going to, we're going to be in a position where, and again, we talk about this all the time. How do you manage the cost cap at that point? Because why else would you want all of this cash infusion if it's not to build a better car to compete? Well, I think there's, there's more than just the car, which is what, which is kind of what the, the battle we've been fighting. We being the you know F one fans or F one world, it's kind of the battle I think we've been fighting. Like, is it the car? Is there is is it more? Is there spectacle? Like, what could a team do to make money aside from winning races, which require money to you know uh, develop? I, I don't. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point. I mean, you bring up a solid point. What all of this infusion of money not being able to be spent on car, the car, right? Um, what does it get spent on? And I think it's actually maybe it doesn't get spent, right? Maybe it it doesn't. Maybe that's where the prof. That's where you are truly making money. There's profits, which yeah. is appealing. Which is something you can turn around and sell, right? Yeah. Uh, something you can value. Well, I think from a spending perspective, more money means an opportunity to build better facilities. And it gives you the flexibility to poach top talent from other teams. And it doesn't matter how long sure. unless you're... Unless you're um, you know, one of the top people at one of these teams, you are going to go where the money is. And even the top guys are, or top girls are going to, are going to go where the money is. And that's why their teams are able to Red Bull, Mercedes, et cetera. They're able to throw the kind of money that they're able to throw at these people. And knowing that they're not going to turn this down because no other team can afford to pay them what they're getting paid. Yeah. And so now this puts Alpine in a position where they can go to these teams and they can now say, Hey, you know, how much is it going to, how much is it going to take for you to come to Alpine? Yeah. So in that regard, that could be a game changer, but again, you have to spend a significant amount of money to have the personnel to build the type of car that's competitive because, you know, at that point you're also given more money to be able to, um, to lure top drivers with. At the end of the day, it's also a business for them and they want to make as much money as they can. And if there's a team with a top facility with top investors and they're able to pay them uh, what they deserve and they're able to pay um, the right personnel uh, to poach them from other teams, then, you know, that that seems like it's a it's a no brainer decision for the drivers. Which also helps with the marketing with these teams because now the drivers are able to have social media and they're able to build brands for themselves. I mean, these drivers, they're everywhere. They're at Fashion Week all over the country or all over the world, rather. Um, they're at so many different um, 
movie premieres. I mean, everybody wants a piece of a Formula One driver right now. So that puts direct brand recognition right on the screen, right on the pages. Um, Esteban Ocon said that he was super inspired by Ryan Reynolds and that there's already plans for him to be uh, at the Deadpool 3 film hmm. uh, film set in London. There you go. So they're already exchanging <laughs> text messages, WhatsApps, whatever, with, with, uh, with Ryan Reynolds. It adds a very different dynamic to ownership. Um, yeah. Uh, the success that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney already had with the Welsh football club, Wrexham. Um, I, I think adds to the allure of what can they do with, you know, Alpine, which is, is a much larger um, operation, especially globally. Right, we're talking about a Welsh football club here that, let's face it, ninety percent of the world never heard of. Um, playing in a very low division, and now you are involved in the pinnacle of motorsport with a team that has potential, uh, and and I think that there's. It's exciting to see what, like, what can Ryan and I, I'm not. I'm just gonna say Ryan, but what can be done with the same playbook that was run for, um, for Wrexham. You know the the TV show, the documentary, all all of that, all this, all the marketing buzz, the media buzz that they created around that. The sponsors they brought in. I mean, you had brands like TikTok sponsoring a fifth division team in Wales soccer. Yeah. Um, but that's that celebrity for you. Well, a hundred percent. And I think I think when you look at things like that, the relationships that he brings to the table. It's it's a game changer. Alpine, this is this is great for Alpine. I think this is fantastic. Is it going to turn into you know dollars tomorrow? I I don't know. I think I think the world of F one takes a little bit longer to to move, right? Also, you're not going from a fifth division soccer team uh, or football club, this is, you're already at the pinnacle. So the, the changes are probably a little bit smaller, right? Yeah. The, 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 um, the wheel turn, the cogs turn a little bit slower than, than they could have in the fifth division of Welsh soccer. So yeah, I'm very excited to see what he does. I'm very excited to see how this works out for Alpine. What yeah. I do think this is a huge benefit or, Let's let's call it a benefit. It's not really a benefit. Where I think this is an indicator of something stronger is with valuations of teams. So this mm-hmm. essentially puts a one billion dollar or nine hundred million euro valuation. Actually, it is. It's one billion dollars. It's a little over a billion dollars. Alpine 
they are uh middle of the pack, right? They're not a they're not a great team by any stretch. Um this puts a one billion dollar valuation on them. So how does that bode for new entries? I think as much as I don't want to say this and admit it, right? But like this puts or gives F1 the ability to now command that billion dollar entry fee should they so choose. Mm. Um, it would be very difficult for a team to enter now having a concrete value of current F1 numbers and ownership coming in and and we're not talking about like you know saudi money either this is like this is a traditional you know type of investment not just like hey we want to buy this at all costs so you're yeah. looking at an actual valuation now for a potential new team at being around that mark sportico put out a graphic yesterday now they these numbers are not uh concrete as valuations really never are unless you have something like uh, an investment that just happened but it's very difficult to put a value on ferrari <laughs> or uh or mercedes or red bull it's it's that's uh, very difficult to do but they put this out based on conversations that they've had with uh internal stakeholders and um financial folks and whatnot and Ferrari valued at three, a little over 3 billion. They were the top team all the way down to Haas at 710 million. Ironically, there was only three teams that had a 2022 operating profit on this list of over 10 million. And that was Alpine at 35 million, Mercedes, uh, Ferrari at 50 million, and Mercedes at 114 million. Huge big brains thinking over there at Mercedes, right? They're they're crushing it. They're making they're making actual money there. Um, yeah. McLaren losing money, Williams losing money, and the rest of the teams are kind of piddling around four million dollar uh, operating profits. So. There's there's money being made. There's money being spent, clearly. But actually having a valuation on a team now, again, in the current form of F1, uh, I, I want to see how this impacts new entries. And I, I think this is like the biggest thing that comes from this is now F1 has a, a, a leg to stand on to say, you know what, we know what the teams are worth. We know these these valuations are much larger than they were 10 years ago. There's no way you're buying in at, yeah. you know, only, uh, uh, you know, $200 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have a quarter, even a quarter of the teams approaching that billion dollar mark and profitable, then I think that automatically means that, that in the next Concord agreement, it's kind of fair game that the teams get to decide who gets to enter F1. And 
they get to set the cost for that because they understand how much money is involved in F1 because they, they see their, their balance sheets. They know how much money their teams were making the teams that were on the grid, say five years ago and what they're making now. And it's night and day. And of course, at this point, money is going to continue being the motivator. But this also means that that drivers are going to have to really start performing and outperforming. And just as it's cutthroat to get into F1 as a team, that same standard is going to get harder and harder for the drivers. I mean, right now, I mean, like they're already talking about replacing Nick DeVries. And now you've got fighting happening at Red Bull between Helmut Marco and Christian Horner saying he wasn't ready. Well, I knew that I told you like it's the back and forth now. And it's like, if you're a driver, how does that not get in your head? You're going to, you're about to get demoted essentially. Um, So yeah, again, when we talked about this, I think last week or two weeks ago, I was saying that because of the cost cap, I feel like drivers aren't pushing it the way they used to push it in the past. If you had a driver who just wanted to gun it and wanted to compete against Max or Lewis, I mean, we even saw the way Max and Lewis used to compete against each other. And they didn't care if they caused damage to each other's cars. They really did not care. They pushed each other's cars to the absolute limit, even to the point where they had DNFs and races. And you don't really see that anymore. And so it's it's affecting the quality of the racing. So if drivers know that they have to stay in that cost cap budget, that they can't afford to have the damages that they used to be able to in vintage Formula One, then the drivers have to be nails. They have to be perfect. And if you're mm-hmm. not perfect, you're going to get replaced. And, and I think that that sets a very interesting um, tone because... I know one of the criticisms of Red Bull is that they, as that that second seat, they don't give drivers enough time to develop in that seat, knowing how powerful that car has been and you know has been the last couple of years. That if you have a bad season or a bad half a season, they're going to demote you and they're going to promote somebody else. And if you're not competing well against Max, then you're going to get demoted again. And right. it's like, how does that not rattle you? So yeah, when you, if you're a driver in Formula One right now, or even you know in in, in any of the lower series, you got to look at F1 right now and be like, I'm not going to get in unless I'm perfect, and I'm not going to stay in unless I'm perfect. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I, I mean, there's re- it, it's almost like there's no room. There, there's never been room for error, right? I mean, it's the pinnacle of motorsport. There's no room for error, but it seems like there's even less now. Yeah. Uh, even for, you know, younger drivers just to like make the come up, yeah. um, you know, like you mentioned DeVries, uh, I don't know if I fully was on board with DeVries anyway, to begin with, but yeah, you know, he's, it's what nine races, eight races. This is going to be the ninth race. I mean, zero points. I, I don't think he, sh- it's not even about points, right? Like, I don't think he yeah. showed much promise at all. Qualifying is the car there. Like, is the car, does it have what it 
takes to even get there. I, I, I have no idea. I mean, Yuki seems to be um, driving pretty well. You know, there's a lot of talk of Yuki being the next Red Bull number two. Like those, I think I don't think those rumors ever go away. That type of stuff never goes away in uh, in F1. But with like you said, with values climbing of teams, it's going to be more and more important for teams to perform immediately, mm-hmm. you know, teams to be able to put, you know, together a, a, a package that's respectful to sponsors, you know, who's going to want to sponsor a team. I mean, it, it's look at teams at the bottom, look at the Haas's of the world, look at the Williams of the world. It, it's difficult for them to get sponsorship. Nobody wants to sponsor a team that can't win. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be, or it's not even about sponsoring, right? It's like, I just don't want my name attached to that. What is the point of me being involved in F1 if I can't, you know, be on the team that's, that's like doing anything. Um, Well, and that's, and that's the thing. You typically see the cars that are performing well, the teams that are performing well, the most on the broadcasts. And that is a constant drive-by essentially of mm-hmm. of sponsors. That is your eyes fixated on the liveries, on those sponsors. So yeah, you're going to, if you're going to invest in Formula One or an F1 team, you want to be on the liveries of the cars that have the most exposure. Yeah. And that's just bottom line. There's You can't dispute that. So yeah, I don't know. I think we talk about, I will talk about this a little later, but teams wanting to enter F1, the valuations only going up, the Concord agreement, you know, has record breaking potential uh, coming up. And, um, you know, with these teams, it's, if you're at the bottom and I hate to say this again with Williams, but Williams was essentially bought on a fire sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if Haas, I mean, they should be farther along than they are. They should have the sponsors that they need, being that they're the American F1 team. The fact that they don't have that right now is troubling. And so it puts these teams, I think, in a real weak position where if the right team comes along and offers them the right amount of money to buy their team, are you going to be inclined to sell? I mean, I think Williams sold for what, a hundred something million dollars. Um, if somebody came in and said, I want to buy your team for say eight, $900 million. Do you think that they wouldn't, they wouldn't sell? I think they would. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're not making any money in F1. It's, it's a hard sport to be successful in. So yeah, I think that if F1 is going to continue trying to close the potential for teams to buy in, then teams have to start getting aggressive who want to buy into F1 and and see what it's going to take to buy a team outright. Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately, I think where we're at in Formula One right now. Uh, Speaking of teams and and whatnot, uh, AlphaTauri is going to be changing its name, dropping its AlphaTauri name. Uh, But they're also going to move into a closer technical collaboration with 
Red Bull. So Red Bull Junior team as it is. Um, that's where most of the junior drivers go, start their careers. Um, but they are they currently carry the name of the fashion brand Alpha Tauri. And they were formerly Toro Rosso, which is Red Bull in Italian. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is this news? Is this interesting? Like, I, to me, it's kind of like one of those where there's smoke, there's fire. Not to say this is like smoke or anything like that, but it is interesting to see that like they're going to get rid of the name. There was already talk of it. You know, this earlier this year, there was potential. It wasn't, I don't think there was any, you know, uh, meat in the rumor, but it was like, oh, you know, they could be selling. We might sell Alpha Tauri off. Uh, uh, you know, is it a target for one of these new teams to come in? And, you know, Red Bull has constantly kind of denied that. But like you said, you know, for the right price, is it, would you not get rid of it? Would you not walk away from it? It looks like Red Bull wants to keep it as this junior team, which is a whole nother, you know, discussion in and of itself. Uh, the fact that there's, they straight up just have two teams. Um, but what do you think? Is there, is there more to this? Is this just Red Bull asserting, I don't want to say asserting dominance, but staking their claim a little bit firmer into Toro Rosso, Alpha Tauri, whatever you want to call them, or, or is this just nothing? Is it just a name change? I think it's, it's interesting because when Alpha Tauri rebranded from Toro Rosso in 2019, yeah, it was 2019, um, it was to promote Red Bull's clothing brand. Now, the value add to this was that it was a proprietary technical fabric. And this was supposed to be a high endurance fabric that wore well. That I mean, and some of the pieces are are pretty stunning. I, I like them. Um, they're very much, I think, high end though. So maybe out of the price point of a lot of a lot of people. Um, and maybe that's the problem because it's not a successful brand. I know that they've had some financial issues, and maybe it's because of the cost. Maybe it's because of the availability. I think they only have a handful of stores and, you know, it, it just doesn't have the, I think the name recognition, um, to command the prices. I mean, for that type of money, I mean, somebody is honestly, I think more likely to go to, I don't know, Lululemon or Neiman Marcus or something. And again, I hate to say that because I like to support new brands, but you know, it was interesting because I know that some of the staff in Formula One actually has Alpha Tauri pieces as part of their uniform. And I've heard mixed reviews on this. I've heard that the higher end pieces are better quality than the uniformed pieces. So people don't have a good read on the quality standard. So that's obviously something that, you know, people talk about in formula one, if you see some random person wearing, you know, an F1 TV shirt, Hey, you know, that's, that's a alpha Tauri. Like, what do you think about the products? They're going to tell you their, their 110% opinion. They're not being paid to sponsor or paid to, to promote alpha Tauri. So 
perhaps maybe that was a contributing factor to this. But I think this is basically saying that we're going to rebrand is basically that I think them admitting perhaps that this this decision to rebrand an entire Formula One team to support a clothing team or a clothing line, it didn't work, that it failed. And I know that Red Bull has a hard time admitting when they have failed. They they don't want to admit it, especially Helmut Marco. He's going to find every single uh, reason to to refute any type of idea that that Red Bull have failed in any any aspect, um, or he's going to find someone else to blame for it. Uh, and I think that that is this is their way of saying we failed without saying we failed. You know, and that's I think why they're being really quiet about this because there's a lot I think more happening behind the scenes because it's expensive to rebrand a team. It's expensive to build a business, which is essentially what they've done with this. And if they're not profitable, if they're losing money off of this, you know, it's like, how much money are they actually losing? And does that put them in a position where they can't afford to pay drivers what they would want to pay them? They can't afford to have the type of development that they want to develop. And I know what one thing I heard was that Red Bull... Um, will go back. I think Helmut Marco confirmed this, that the team is going to go back under Red Bull's direction. And I think that's interesting because they started to produce some of their own parts and develop some of their uh, own parts, I think in the last year. Um, so that's interesting that basically now Red Bull is kind of taking all that over again. And then Marco also confirmed that there's going to be new sponsors. So yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's like how many ways can you say your team failed without saying it yeah and to you know to see them uh, or to see you know to hear marco say we're, we're joining a, a more tight closer relationship similar to ferrari and haas which of course he was gonna you know, he's gonna say that to be like oh look others are doing the same thing um i i I don't know. I I don't think I don't think there's anything that they are doing differently. It's just let's rebrand this. Let's put it. Let's let's start fresh again. Yeah. Um, under you know, almost the new rules. Uh, also, I mean, maybe slightly conspiracy ish, but you know, they should be losing some of their time soon right wind tunnel whatnot um if they share the maximum allowable parts and the maximum allowable um uh, i guess uh you know technical data does you know obviously that helps red bull right <laughs> if they have essentially a team that can just run all the testing for them yeah uh, that's the bitter ferrari fan in me Right, because <laughs> I'm not sure that Haas really helps out Ferrari much, but mm -hmm. uh, you yeah, know, as no. much as Helmut Marco wants to say that it might, um, yeah, I think I, this is like you said. I think it comes down, it boils down to the fact that, like, what the hell is Alpha Tauri? You know, do people even know that it's a clothing brand? Yeah, uh, maybe people that watch F1 do, but like, do people that you're trying to sell to, like, do they even know? I mean, I had no idea what Alpha Tauri even was. Um, and, yeah. and I, and I follow it. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I wrote yeah. a blog post. I wrote a blog post on this last June. I just reposted it to my Twitter, but it, it talks about 
the rebrand and talks about what AlphaTauri is. And I've had so many people read that article and say to me, you know, I really wouldn't have known this if it wasn't for your blog. I mean, these are just friends of mine who, who read my blog for fun, but they wouldn't have known that. And so it's like that kind of shows you, I think, how bad the marketing has been for this because of maybe how how the team has just underperformed in the last couple yeah. of years. And I think this is maybe why uh, it's being rumored right now that Daniel Ricardo could possibly take over that seat for DeVries because at least he has the star power to bring sponsors to the team maybe before the rebrand. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, he's definitely got, he's, this is the other issue, right? I get a little slightly off topic, but the marketability of most of these drivers is non-existent. Yeah. There's a handful that are really marketable and the rest are, I mean, even your biggest star, Max Verstappen has so little because he wants to, this is not that he, he could be appealing to sponsors if he, kind of put himself out there but he doesn't want to and and that's that's fine he just wants to race so you really only have like a very small portion of your of your drivers that are extremely marketable daniel ricardo who's not even in a seat lewis hamilton arguably one of the greatest drivers of all time um lando lando norris charles but but Lando puts a lot of time in on social media yeah, to connect with his fans. You have Charles and Carlos, but that's also their Ferrari drivers. So that mm-hmm. helps as well. The Ferrari brand, much like the Mercedes brand or the Red Bull mark. Sergio Perez is huge in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, George is starting to get more into it. You see him a lot on those like Marriott, I think Bonvoy commercials. They're a Mercedes sponsor and I have some yeah. inside well, knowledge yeah, on that, but, but like, but I mean, he doesn't, Yeah, I don't think that they would, he, anyone other than I think George doing those commercials, I don't think it would come off as, as smooth. Maybe, mm-hmm. um, I think he is a natural in front of the cameras and I think that people are kind of drawn into him. So mm-hmm. it's easy to market him, but sure. I mean, he also plays the part really well. And I guess that's easy to do when you're driving for one of the best teams on the grid. Yeah. You know, I I think there's less pressure on you. And I think that maybe that is a contributing factor as to why a lot of these other drivers, maybe they're not as confident in the car because they're not, they're not out there the way these other drivers are. I mean, and credit to Yuki. I think he's really tried to put himself out there more this season. And one half, you know, that um, the flooding in Italy, when he was out there helping business owners clean up, I mean, that was that wasn't anything I think that was by design or plan to help him elevate a star, but I think it gave him a lot of uh, character that people didn't really see in him before. And now I think you, you kind of see Yuki more and more, but you know, since that happened. Right. So yeah, I mean, he's trying to change his image a little bit as well. Yeah. Because he knows, he knows that the better his image is, the better I think, shot he's going to have at keeping a seat or at least keeping himself in the F1 sort of brand and being able to profit off of it, even if he doesn't have a seat. So it's smart on his part, but all the other drivers that, you know, it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You're you're in the pinnacle of motorsports and you are not doing every single thing you can to try and maximize your profits in F1, knowing that 
your contract could literally just be two years and have that be that, or even one season and have that be that. Yeah. No, so. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot um, about that. I think these drivers are need to focus on now. Right. And, and it's marketability is huge. Um, it's, it's probably, it's probably one of the bigger things that we talk about because it was not really ever allowed under Bernie, right? Like it just yeah. wasn't there. Like drivers couldn't have a brand. Um, no one cared about what the drivers were doing or what, you know, of course social media changes things and, and whatnot. So there's, there's a lot of that as well, right? There's, there's more to it than just, Oh, well they're allowed to have a brand now. Cause you can have a brand, you know, you can be allowed to have a brand and still have nowhere to, to do it. Um, but yeah, they do. Um, speaking of teams and, and changes and, New teams and new amounts of money. High tech uh, confirmed their entry bid. They are uh, high tech Grand Prix. They made a bid into Formula One. Uh, Kazakh businessman Vladimir Kim purchased a 25% stake in the holding company. They are a UK based team. They operate in Formula One and Formula Three and Formula Four. Um, they've been fully owned by. Oliver Oaks since early last year when um, Mazepin had to relinquish that uh, control. Uh, yeah, there are. Uh, so th- this seems to be the front runner from what I'm hearing. Um, what I've heard, they seem to have a very well put together bid uh to enter formula one and to be that 11th team that we are dying to get uh i you know andretti was the big name they caught they they made a lot of noise early on and they obviously made a lot of noise because they've been very critical of um of formula one and and the fia and how all of this is going down but I don't know if you remember this. I think it was Stefano Domenicali that had made a comment. And he said that just because you're making a lot of noise doesn't mean you have the best bid or something like that. And he he, he basically straight up called out Andretti and said that there's plenty of other uh, entries that are interested or, or, or there's plenty of other entities that are interested that are just being really quiet. And I think a lot of us were like, all right, let's see it. You know, we hadn't seen anything at that point, And now we do. Now, now we are. Now we, we see that there's, there are quite a few entries um, of interest. So not only the Andretti Cadillac bid, but this high-tech bid. There's another one called Lucky Sons that apparently is, is out there. Um, but high-tech is looking like that... Um, that front runner and they have, you know what? The fact that they have experience in different formulas is impressive. That's a good thing for any team entering formula one. So to have essentially a ladder from F4 formula four, all the way to F1 has to be really appealing. You're already in that formula. Yeah. Whereas, you know, an Andretti bid, this is nothing against IndyCar, but they're not in the, 
the ladder. They're not there, right? They are, well, it's IndyCar. That's, that's, un- unfortunately, that's the lame perception that many have, right? It's like, oh, it's IndyCar. It's not part of the formula. It's not part of Formula Series. Like, so it's not, it's not good enough. Um, which I don't think that's the, I don't believe that, but I know that's yeah. what there are many out there that say that. So maybe that's Andretti's, that's their, the holdup is that an Andretti just, well, they don't have experience in formula, so they can't possibly run a formula outfit, a formula operation. We're trying to put our best foot forward. We're trying, you know, all of the things we just talked about, the valuations and the, the branding and, and the drivers and the ability to, to, sign drivers like high techs would seem to be a very attractive option yeah i mean i i i don't disagree with you i also see this as a potential feeder team which again wouldn't be bad but they have like you said f2 f3 and f4 and high tech has even said that an entry in F1 would complete its single seater ladder and demonstrate that high tech has all the right people, experience, and resources to compete alongside the best teams in the world. So my question with that would be, does that mean that they would be more inclined to promote from within? And if as that opposed was the, to as opposed to going out and say, Let's try and get Carlos signs, for example. Let's try and get Charles Leclerc, for example. They sign instead their F2 drivers. Isn't, they that, say, isn't that what Red Bull or Mercedes or Ferrari already does? They do that, but I think they have a little more flexibility with, with I think, signing drivers from outside of that, um, that organization, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't, that, that would be my only question is, is would high tech just be like your feeder series? Like, would they go out and try and get any other drivers or would they just stick to their drivers being that this is our ladder? Um, and you start with us in in F4 or you move up through carding and then we just keep moving you up if you continue to get better. Sure. We promise you a scene in F one. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah. I guess for me, it's more like if I know I'm joining the high tech ladder, does that create more stability? With you know, if you knew that you would join this team, you would get opportunities in F four, then F three, then F two, then F one. It would keep you around as opposed to like, well, I don't know if this team is going to be worth joining because I don't have many options. So if I join in a youth, let's say I'm going to call it a youth program, but in a lower division, it's really not going to benefit me down the road because they don't have anything up higher. Right. Does that make you less appealing? If you don't have that. There's there there aren't options, right? It's like okay, well, all you have is F one, so if I don't get onto the F one team, I I'm SOL. Yeah, or, but I think oh, a ahead. huge component to that, though, and we've always known this that 
the better quality sponsors these drivers are acquiring throughout their their rise in in the series, the better likelihood, the better shot they have at an F1C because obviously money drives everything. And so would this necessarily mean that drivers don't have to maybe worry about sponsors and money as much and they can focus solely on driving? Um, You know, I think that there's just, there's a couple of concerns there. Again, I don't think that they would necessarily be bad things, but again, when you look at the actual spirit of F1 and like how people typically rise in ranks versus maybe what this could do to change that. Um, and maybe it would be for the better. Maybe if people say, well, you know, at high tech, we don't have to worry about sponsors. We just have to worry about driving. Um, what would that do for racing in its entirety? And I mean, I don't know. I, I, I hate to say this because we know how F1 is with marketing, um, and profit, but maybe that would make for much better drivers down the line and drivers that were significantly more focused so that by the time they actually got to F1, they understood the business, they understood how to market themselves, um, and they knew how to make money, uh, with their person, uh, on top of their F1 paychecks. So maybe that would be a good thing in a weird way. Yeah. Change, I, change the order of it a little bit. I mean, I, I look at it as a, as a positive, it's you're kind of you're growing with a program as opposed to like hopping in and taking a shot. And that, that's probably been the you know that's the downfall of the younger or the the new newer teams, right? These these one offs that show up, they don't have anything else. There isn't an ecosystem around it, so it's just like cool. The team's gonna flounder because the team sucks and. That's it. As you're as a driver, you're done. You have no other options. You're not in a bigger program that can help you. Obviously, your performance speaks for itself, but it doesn't always work that way, right? With so few and limited seats in F1, yeah. Uh, I would think that. I, I don't know. I'm I'm a fan of of a bigger system. That that's you know. There's more opportunities. There's more. Uh, options there is uh, more numbers so to speak that allow for more sponsor you know better sponsorship for drivers if you're part of a bigger group right uh and you're a sponsor you're a brand you are buying into something more right and then you can kind of grow with the driver okay we started with f4 we're gonna support this driver at a lower level as this driver grows we up our our investment and we mm-hmm. continue and it stays within the group and that makes the group successful profitable um you can plan for that right there's some stability which i think is important which clearly the word from f1 is, is stability right like that is what they are focused on yeah well, with a new, growth. with, with <laughs> yeah, but with new entry, I'm I'm saying in regards to new entries, mm. they are clearly showing that it's important that there's stability, uh, there, right? It's not like yeah. you're gonna come in, you're gonna sh- be here for a couple years, and then you can't afford it and you're done. Having that full funnel, one, two, three, four, I think creates exactly what they're looking for. 
Again, that's my thought. I have no idea. I could be completely wrong. I, maybe I'm not looking at this the whole the, the full way. Um, I would love to hear if somebody had a different opinion on it, like yeah, you know, a different idea of why that what doesn't work. The latter doesn't work. Yeah. Um. Well, also to play devil's advocate, I mean, just because you have the resources, that doesn't guarantee you're going to be successful. No, so, no, and success. It, listen, yeah. there's two different kinds of success. You're you're spot on. There's there's success on track and then there's success off track like you know alpine is turning a profit they they made they had 35 million dollars in operating profit last year that doesn't mean they're they're good on track doesn't mean that they're doing anything on you know they're not regularly ma- making the podium yeah so i i'm i'm with you 100% yeah i just and i also think that with stability when you do look at andretti you might not have stability within you know, the, the formula series per se, but he has stability elsewhere. He has that name recognition. And with that name recognition is automatically going to, I think, bring, I mean, and F1 continues to talk about how we want to expand in America, how we want to do this, that, and this in America. And if that is one of the objectives, then wouldn't it make sense to have a solid American team, even if this is at this, the expense of Haas. And I hate to say that, but again, if, if you're not performing with the cost cap, the way it is with drivers becoming a little more risk, a lot more risk averse, um, the, the valuations of these teams going up, the anti-dilutions fee, fees uh, going through the roof in the next Concord agreement. I think it, maybe it makes sense at this point for formula one to start maybe intervening with these teams and start saying, you know, you're not helping the sport. You're kind of dead weight right now. Um, would you consider selling? And I don't know that the FIA or that F1 could broker that without it seeming like they're trying to have this sort of authoritarian ruling over these teams. But, you know, it, it's if it's going to start getting more cutthroat, more competitive than I just, I don't see where there's a spot in the series right now for teams that are failing. I'm all, just to clarify here, I'm all for an Andretti entry. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot to what you said in terms of the American audience and they're growing so much. But then I start thinking like on the flip side of that and it's like, okay, is F1 saying to themselves, what is the cost benefit of a new team joining American team that may or may not be good, right? Mm -hmm. Versus just adding another American race, which they did Vegas, right? Is it? I don't want to say cheaper, but is it more cost effective to just say, we're going to add another race, make it hyped up and crazy. We'll get the Americans excited about it that way. Instead of you allow 11th team to join. And again, this is totally like worst case scenario, right? You allow this 11th American team to join. They absolutely suck ass. Pulling down profits, right? 
teams are pissed because now they're not making as much money, whatever, whatever the situation is, right? Like they're giving up money to a team that's not even doing anything or adding to this, this, the, uh, the allure of the, the sport. They're, they're actually making it worse. Again, this is just me playing devil's advocate too. Could that be the conversation within F1? Could that actually be the way they're looking at it? Hey, it's easier to create another Super Bowl, get Americans excited, and let them be about their business. Because let's face it, too. Americans are pretty fickle, especially when it comes to a Eurocentric sport. Right? Like, yeah. are they actually going to care about it? And, and F1 is still yet to prove this, I believe. Yes, there's a growth trajectory. Yes, things are, are looking up. But how long does that last? Adding an 11th team long term is harder to prove success and harder to then probably get rid of, right? Look at look at Haas or, or, or these other teams, for example, that are at the bottom. Like You can't just get rid of them at this point. But you can get rid of a race, no problem. You can say, hey, Vegas didn't work out. Hey, Miami didn't work out. Hey, Austin, sorry, we're not coming back. It's easier to do that. It's easier to play with the races than it is to play with teams. Yeah. Um, I see what you're saying. I also see, though, Vegas as, I mean, is are Americans truly the audience for Vegas? I don't, I don't really think so. I think that that's going to be really? a highly a highly uh, internationally attended race. I, I think you're, well, you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of Americans there. You know, that's, that's a given, but I think that a lot of people are going to be foreigners going to that race. It's Vegas. But I, I, I think that's slightly. Mm, yes, I agree, but it's F1. There's a lot of foreigners that go to, that, that go to Texas. There's a lot of foreigners yeah. that go to Miami. There's a lot of foreigners that go to all the races because there's only, there's only 20 of these and you may only have one or or none at all in your home country. So, yeah, you're going to yes, you will have foreigners there. I think the audience is very American. I th that's where you and I probably disagree and that and <laughs> I I love it. I think it's this is all about the USA. It's not let's say North America. I'll, I'll be generous with that. It's probably North I I I don't see this as being we're focused on um the foreign audience. This is like, how do we make the Super Bowl truly the Super Bowl in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I, I just, I again, I, I don't. That's how I see it. That's like, that's through my eyes. That's what I see. But <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll we'll kind of see what happens. But I think that this might sound nuclear. But maybe in the next Concord Agreement, mm -hmm. um, they agree that if, say, four years or so go by and in the next, say, the next Concord Agreement is, you know, five years or six years away and your team fails to break into the top, say, seven, mm -hmm. that maybe F1 has the right to, 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 to explore sale. <laughs> For your team, uh, I don't think that teams would vote for that, but I think that 
you know, again, if you're trying to increase the competition in Formula One yeah. and make the sport better, because again, we talk about the on product, uh, on track product. Is it getting mm-hmm. any better? No, it's really not. Um, and that's ultimately, I think that the allure of of having this sort of, you know, celebrity led or influencer driven race day um, or race schedule. I think that is going to go away. I think that's eventually going to kind of lose its appeal. It already is kind of losing its appeal. And sure. you're having celebrities come in now as investors, as supporters, but not necessarily in a sense that it's like, I have to be seen front and center every weekend. Who cares? Um, and maybe as that happens, maybe teams, maybe F1 itself is going to have to say, we need to figure out how to make ourselves more appealing again, because we're starting to lose people. And if we're losing people because they're no longer interested in the celebrity of it, or they're no longer interested in watching, you know, four dominant teams go at each other every season, at what point is F1 going to have to intervene? Because I don't see the teams themselves intervening because obviously that, that, that's contradicts uh, their goals and their objectives. And if they agree to this, you know, to have a, um, give F1 the right to sell, or look for, you know, a sale in, in a couple of years. Um, that basically says that we're a team that has accepted defeat already. So I genuinely don't know. And I would be curious to find out what any of our listeners have to say about what would your suggestions be? If you could be in these meetings with Stefano, what would you suggest? I feel like we've gone over almost every scenario possible now on the show and you know, like hmm. we're nowhere closer to figuring this out. So if we're no closer to figuring this out as fans, I mean, how much closer is, is F1 to figuring this out? Knowing how much money and egos are involved. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a lot of uh, obviously conversations behind the scenes that we don't hear about. There's, you know, yeah. they're, they're definitely working on things. I'm going to, I've had some conversations uh, with with folks uh, across the board that um, are directly tied in with you know with these events, and they uh, you know they will say straight up there's there's a lot going on that people don't know about. Um, <sighs> yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think to fire off an answer it is not necessarily even the most responsible way to give an answer about this because it, like you said, I mean, there's so many things that need to be considered. It's not just as easy as we're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to put a, you know, a race here, a team here, this, t- you know, like there, there are so many conversations that have to be had around all of this. The logistics of this sport are insane, right? Yeah. Not just for like races, but just, the marketing, the, you know, the drivers, um, the different personalities that are involved, the different, um, all the different entities, all the different politics that are involved, you know, everywhere. So, you know, I look at that and I'm just like, all right, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how we get to an answer. Nothing's ever going to be perfect, right? No solution is going to make everybody happy. Like, you know, for example, look at, um, you know, with, with Vegas, like there's a lot of people that are pissed 
about Vegas happening, right? Oh my God, Las Vegas. Oh my God, another American race. Oh my God, you know, this sport is going to shit, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You know, there's all those conversations that happen regularly, but nobody knows. Nobody knows, right? Because, yeah. And we've, we've, I've, listen, I've even said this, right? Oh, the season, like we talked about last week, oh, the season's getting kind of boring. Things are getting kind of dull for me. And then, they go and pull like the largest number ever for a race on TV and record breaking numbers in person. And it's like, all right, well then what the hell do I know? Right. <laughs> um, now c- could the numbers all be bullshit? Yeah, nah, they could, someone could be pulling something out of there. You know what? And, and making it up, I guess. Um, but yeah, we just don't know because we don't have the full picture either, right? So without having a full view as to what they're actually working on, I think it's so difficult to give options and opinions because realistically what you and I think is the right thing to do is could very well be the right thing to do. And maybe they're already working on it, right? Or maybe they are... Maybe they've considered it or tried something that I don't know didn't work. Um, but you, you, I will say this: of all of, with all that being said, I still do fully believe that the American experiment, I guess that's the name I'll give it, is going to be given a lot longer of a leash than a lot of people are going to like. Yeah. Well, it's an American company. That too. So, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot more at stake for Liberty mm-hmm. media. They spent a lot of money mm-hmm. buying formula one. It has mm-hmm. amassed a meteoric rise in valuation in the last couple of years. And they're going to do everything they can to push yep. it in the market that, you know, they're from. So, but like I said, I think that also puts a lot more pressure on American teams, on, on teams like Haas. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I think that this is going to be the time in formula one's growth, uh, spurt Mm. where you're going to start seeing more and more teams falling farther and farther behind. And at some point as a team owner, uh, as a sponsor, you need to make decisions. Is this the right move for me? And I don't, I don't know uh, if we're gonna see that because, like I said, there's there's so many personalities involved in this. That, but I hope for the sake of the sport that these lower scoring teams are able to figure it out. Because I mean, at the very least, we should have a super competitive midfield, and I don't think we have that right now. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just, I understand why people are saying it's boring, but you know, yeah, obviously people, I'm one of them. Yeah. People are still watching. They're still, you know, Mm -hmm. they're still kind of clearing out their, their Saturday morning or afternoon, depending on where you're at schedule to watch F1. But I think it's, you have to wonder how many people are also watching it passively rather than passionately. Like if you're sitting on your couch watching a race just because it's on, but you're catching up on work or homework or you're on your phone the whole time, um, you're a passive watcher at that point. And I wonder how many people are kind of 
becoming that type of spectator at this point in the season. So, you know, it's like, how do you hold their attention span for longer than, you know, an hour? Well, maybe F1 is going to figure it out with um, Technical Director 45. Tell us about (laughs) it because I'll be honest with you, I didn't follow enough along. I know what it's about, but I'd love to hear your breakdown and take on TD45. Okay. So in 2020, I believe it was, the FIA set up a hotline for whistleblower complaints. It's called the FIA whistleblower system or some something like that. Um, and it was where people could anonymously report on um, cost cap breaches, corruption, uh, anti-doping regulations, fraud, bribery, there all sorts of things that they they could report on. Um, with the caveat that you had documentation and evidence to support your claims or concerns. Um, and I think in the last couple of years, um, there have been some maybe false reports. I know Ferrari, um, I think it was last year, two years ago, they couldn't figure out like what the FIA concluded was that their investigation into Ferrari didn't match the whistleblower complaint. So it kind of makes you wonder how many people have also taken advantage of that and used that in bad faith, even though the FIA has said bad faith reporting could result in criminal and civil recourse. But again, if you're reporting it this anonymously, then how would they know it's you? So I could see loopholes in their own system. And so um, they, um, they had a technical directive 45, which is a financial regulation and technical directive that clarifies the distinction between F1 activities and non-F1 activities within a team. So essentially, if a team is using a special projects division to gain an advantage um, uh, in something that isn't F1 as a way to circumvent the cost cap, that's essentially what this covers. And so it's, it's kind of in my opinion, mainly focused on teams that have maybe automotive or technology businesses, either outside of F1 or as sort of an F1 division. Um, But I just, I, I, again, it's difficult to see how they're going to enforce this because, you know, I know that uh, we talked about this in the pre-tape that Mercedes has its um, applied science division for I think their sailing team, but that is associated with their F1 team also. So it's like. I actually think it's a division of the F1 team. So it it is directly tied into it, which is like, how do you separate, you know, to your point, like how do you actually separate that? Um, Yeah. And also like, does this applied science division work directly, say with the actual Mercedes, maybe AMG factory? What, what are they able to extract from, from that in that actual, you know, say commercial car development that they're able to then pass on to say Mercedes. We can say the same with Red Bull. They have advanced technologies. I think Aston Martin has something kind of similar. Um, so I don't know. It, it it kind of raises questions on how are they going to enforce this? And I think, it, are we at the point right now where the FIA is just doing way too much to try and get people to self-report or, you know, 
sabotage another team. I don't know. I, I see that this, I see this causing sort of maybe more confusion or more harm than good. Um, because again, it's like, if, if you, if you're reporting these things anonymously, how is the FIA going to be able to, to, you know, prove something? Um, yeah. And I mean, knowing that the FIA has said that, uh, that, uh, false reporting could result in civil or criminal charges, how many people would be inclined to actually report knowing that yeah. if they didn't find anything that corroborated what you were saying, even though you knew it to be true, would you face charges? So again, with the reporting aspect of it, I just, I, I think a lot of people are making a big deal about this right now. Uh, I don't think this is as big of a deal as maybe the FIA wants it to be. Yeah. Cause again, how, how do you, how do you determine these things? I mean, it's, it's so really hard. It's so, yeah. it's going to be so difficult to say, oh, well, you know, you took this technology and you, I, I mean, that's what F1 is supposed to be. You know, yeah. it's supposed it's a constructor. to be, uh, you know, you, we're supposed to get technologies from F1 that are improving our cars that are, you know, making things more efficient that are like, it, that's what's supposed to happen. And, and I, you know, you would think that that's supposed to make, you, you know, you're supposed to share that type of information. I, I get it, cost cap, but this is only a problem because of the cost cap too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, this is the, this is only an issue because of it. You know, maybe the cost cap really is not as beneficial as, you know, beneficial to competition as one originally if, thought or as many oh, of us originally thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the standings right now. I mean, what, three or four teams are in the single digits and points. And these are the same teams that have been trying to play catch up now for the past, what, five years, it seems. So it's, yeah, if this was supposed to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, say even the middle road or the middle um, teams and maybe the lower end teams, it's not doing its job. In fact, I think it's having an adverse reaction. So I, I don't know. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. Like, is the cost cap causing more harm than good? And I think at this point, it's, it's safe to say the fact that they're having to release now these, these technical directives that I, I think we can safely uh, determine right now that the cost cap is not doing its job. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Um, because mainly this directive is kind of aimed at these top teams. So it seems like every single directive, every single, like anything that is put, um, new rule, new whatever, new regulation is put out, is targeting the top teams. So clearly, it's it, the lower end teams. They're not, they're not doing their job. They're not pulling their weight right now. And that is, it, it kind of puts Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, now I'll say Aston Martin in a really precarious situation because it's like, are they going to start telling on each other? Are they going to start making false claims just to try and, you know, get the FIA to investigate them and maybe hope that they find something? There's a lot of potential sabotage happening that the FIA is kind of in a way encouraging. And that's not, that's not what we want to be doing with our time. Yeah. I mean, if I was a gambling man a betting man i would say if it isn't already i would say that um forensic accountants are going to be the next 
uh, uh, ace in the hole for F1 teams. Um, yeah. Maybe not forensic accounts, but some sort of accounting accounting role is going to be the big, you know, next big thing or um, advantage. You know, can we can we find where the other teams are doing, you know, something against the cap? Can we figure out how to, you know, beat the cap, you know, in the books and whatnot? And it's like, oh, God, this is yeah. But it's again, everything this, but racing. Yeah, but again, if this directive is supposed to clarify the distinction between, you know, those F one activities and non F one activities within a team, then. You know, like you said, these these financial accountants, wouldn't it behoove them to sort of use their their forensic know-how to be able to determine how to justify mm-hmm. meshing the two? I mean, if I'm a team and I'm paying a forensic accountant, I'm saying more than anything, this is your job to find out how yep. we can justify this cost and how we can sort of envelop this cost into this program or that program. Um and that is something that is going to be very, very difficult, I think, for the FIA to to prove unless mm-hmm. the forensic accountant is the whistleblower. But I don't necessarily see that happening, especially if these people are paid extremely well. Yeah, it's like I said, it just seems like it's more yeah. stuff that's not focused on racing and not focused yeah. on making, you know, better cars or it's, it's the like we're, we're focused on everything, but yeah, you know, we're focused on everything, but the actual on track and, and, you know, maybe that's where we are in time with, with F1 and maybe that's what, you know, what we we're going to have to deal with for a while until, until they grow up, until things get a little bit more mature. Yeah. Right. With this, with this new F1. Um, but well, yeah, I just... uh, I just don't see teams like Williams, even Haas catching up. And I think that at some point the FIA is going to have to make real actual decisions as opposed to trying to implement all of these rules and regulations that do absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you can't catch up when you're behind and then on top of it, hamstrung by a cost cap, not to say that Williams even has the money to go spend you know, $500 million on, on the car. But if some sponsor came in and said, Hey, we'll give you a ton of money, just make the best possible car. They can't even do that. Right. Like that's not even feasible. So yeah. Yeah. So Um, again, if you can't do that, then why are you even in the sport? Sell, move on with your life. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not like Williams is now this like still family held business. Yeah. So it I mean, kind of lost that a little bit of that charm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know. I think we can beat the bush on this forever, but I, I agree. It's um, exhausting. <laughs> any, any parting words before we, uh, before we go? I think I've said everything. What about you? No, I'm good. I think, I think this is a fluid situation. This is going to be, one of those things that we'll, you know, definitely pay attention to because it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm really, really curious to see how the high tech situation mm. uh, plays out with, with with them joining or, or 
if if they even allow them to join. I mean, maybe they won't even allow them to join. Like we still don't know. Um, I I would I would be very interested to see what the full offer bid package that they're putting together that they you know claim to have. Uh, what that looks like, you know, what I, I actually, I'd love to see what all of these, these bids look like. Like, what are they, what are these teams promising in return for a spot on the grid? Right. Um, Good question really quickly. Yeah. If you're say high tech and you're already yeah. committed to spending a billion dollars for entry, wouldn't it make slightly more sense to go to a team like Williams and say, we'll give you a billion dollars outright to buy the team. I think, would you be more inclined to sell the team than vote to allow the team to pay their way in, where you only get a fraction of that versus you'd get the full billion if you sold outright? Yeah. Hmm. I, I think teams are going to be presented with with those. You have um, to think, though, that like, don't you think these teams have already made those inquiries? Possibly, but again, maybe, maybe they're trying to see how much more um, the valuation increases. Maybe people are getting greedy. Who knows? Well, that's that's what I'm saying. So, like, if if I'm high tech, or if I'm anybody that's already, we know Andretti tried, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm, because now you're in a catch twenty two. If you're both parties. Yeah. Let's let's say you are in a new entity. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to enter. It's going to cost me about a billion bucks all in. Not even all in, but it's going to cost me about a billion dollars just to enter this series. If I was to ask a team to buy them, there's only a couple teams I'm going to be able to go after, right? Anyway. Yeah let's let's say whatever let's say williams let's use williams as the example you ask williams and they're and now williams is like nah i'm gonna hold out because values are going up we if we hold out for you know another couple three more years let's say 26 is like we'll just watch the growth and we'll see what happens we've seen what the growth has done in the last five years what's it going to do in the next five we can hold out for yeah. five Three, five, three to five years, we could probably tr triple what we would have gotten, you know, five years ago, two years yeah. ago, right now. Um, so they're holding; they would hold off. If you're high tech, you're like, well, we need to enter now. We can't keep waiting either, right? Like we want to get in yesterday. We don't want to. We want to get in before the the curve is all the way to the top. We don't want to get in at the peak. We want to get in at while it's still rising and we're not paying way too much. So I think you're in a catch 22 if you're both, you know, if you're all the parties involved and if you're Williams, like I said, yeah, a billion dollars looks great. But what if that billion is a billion and a half or 2 billion in a couple years, because the values are just going to keep inflating. Yeah. Well, if money is the end game though, then wouldn't they say the same about all the teams having to maybe agree to allow this team to join and saying, well, now we want the dilution anti-dilution fee to go up to a billion and a half. That's even more money that the teams would make. If they, if they make these teams like Andretti and, um, and high tech have to wait another couple of years to see where the valuations go. 
Yeah, so everything moves. I mean, it's a moving target is yeah. unfortunately what's happening, right? It's a moving yeah. target across the board. You've got, I didn't even, th- great point. I wasn't even thinking about the anti-dilution fee, but you've also got that. So like if the, all the values climb that much and then just to get in is going to cost, you know, whatever, uh, a billion, billion and a half, like maybe I would might as maybe I would rather just go with start fresh. We have our like high tech already has operations too, so it's not like they're they have to build out. I mean, maybe eventually they will, but they're not building anything out right the second. So I don't know. Do I want to buy a Williams operation that I have to kind of like deal with all the people that are there already? I mean, I don't know. I I I don't. I don't know if if it meant that I could get in at a guaranteed price at this point. Let's say it's a, I'm going to say the billion. You know what? I'm just let me just roll with it. Let me just do the billion, rip off the band aid, and just get in because that means more than playing this whole game and maybe getting in, maybe not getting in, maybe buying a team. It's going to be a bad team. Yeah. Like I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean i I think right now it's going to be about the long game who can stay interested longer yeah is probably going to be the team that either gets to buy out a team or gets that 11 spot and i genuinely think that the teams right now on the grid are going to do everything they can to prevent other teams from joining because again that's less money that they make Mm -hmm. so right they have zero incentive right now to sell to allow another team in. And, you know, I'm sure that, that some teams also see a potential high tech team as this is a team that could potentially take away our engineers, um, take away possibly our, our, our team principals. And that's, if they can throw any amount of money, if a billion dollars is no big deal for a team to buy in, uh, they know that these teams know that money is going to be no object when it comes to making hires and that they could potentially poach away some of the best talent in formula one. So it makes zero sense for these teams to get on board with adding another team being whoever the victor is at the end of this, it's going to be because they practiced an immense amount of patience. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. As always, if there are thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, about the show. If you liked what you heard, if you didn't like what you heard and you have something else to add or you have a devil's advocate approach, we'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm at Vincenzo Landino on, on the Twitters and uh, VF is at the VF Castro. The, the VF Castro. Um, <laughs> yeah, another episode down in the books. It was always good talking to you. It's always good creating things for you, our listeners. Um, if you like what you heard, please go give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. It does a lot of help for us to get our names and our podcast out into the ear holes of, uh, of some new listeners. Uh, we appreciate you as always, and we will catch you on the next show. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the VF1 show. If you liked it, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for previews of next week's show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the VF Castro and Vincenzo Landino.